Welcome to the Holistic Work Podcast. I'm Flip Brown, your host and founder of Business Culture Consultants. The mission of this podcast is to bring together individuals who want work to work well, who strive for a balanced and resilient lifestyle, and who have a commitment to social, economic, climate, and racial justice. Feel free to check out the whole series, along with other resources, at businesscultureconsultants.com. Thanks for finding your way here. In today's episode, our title is Work-Life Balance is Dead, How to Live Well Anyway. And the goal is to give you a fresh perspective, to help you from being just swept along every day, and to reinforce the fact that you're a human being, not a human doing. So let's think about this scenario, which many people report they can relate to. You wake up in the morning, you start your morning ritual, and hopefully a little time passes before your brain kicks in and says, ah, what do we have to accomplish today? And then you create this mental sticky note in your head of the two or three things that you absolutely want to get done today. So you go through your day, and at the end, when you're commuting home or finishing up work, you check in and it's like, darn it, not only did I not get those two or three urgent things done, I added two or three more to the list. And the same pattern starts over the next day. So how do we get a different sense of ease in terms of moving through the day? What are our strategies for sanity in these stressful times? I'd like to offer some tips and tools that I have found useful and also in working with my clients. The first one is this idea that most of us set really high standards for ourselves. If we didn't, we would be official slackers. So we think that we can accomplish probably more than we actually can and we then become our own harsh critic and judge. And this leads to a negative internal dialogue where we're having conversations about what we didn't do, what we didn't get done, the time that we didn't spend, and it's really negative energy. My question is, how can you do more than the best you can do? It's good to set high standards. However, it's also good to check in to see if those are in fact realistic. And many folks think about this myth of someday, consciously or maybe in the back of their mind. Someday I'm going to get caught up. Someday I'm going to get organized. Someday I'm going to spend more time with my kids. Someday I'll pursue that hobby or get more exercise. The only problem is someday never comes because right now is actually all we have. And that's why the technique of mindfulness can be so useful when we can really set aside the chatter in our brains about what we didn't do yet or what we're supposed to do and really focus our energy on what's happening in the moment. We also have a tendency to use language without really realizing how that's framing our attitudes and beliefs. And a classic one these days is you contact someone, 
and they are, I'm so busy. Well, I don't know too many people who aren't busy. I know people that are struggling. However, so busy has essentially just become a blanket descriptor of our daily lives. If the busyness is targeted and focused, and we feel that there are good outcomes, that's cool. However, if it's just a code phrase for, I'm running 90 miles an hour, I'm feeling all stressed out, and I want you to somehow give me an excuse or give me an extra helping of empathy, then it's worth examining that. Along those lines, there's an important difference between venting and complaining. If I'm frustrated or disappointed or stuck, venting releases those emotions and then I'm done. There's no resentment or residue. Complaining, which we're all actually quite good at and usually well-trained in this culture, complaining is describing a situation where we have no responsibility. It's someone else who is somehow having the mystical power uh, to give us a negative experience or to make us feel bad when actually no one can make us feel anything. So we have choices in terms of how we frame our internal and external language to describe our current situation. When I first started my business, I had a tendency, like, again, people I know, to just be a little bit late. And part of that was because I felt that I could cram in a couple more things before I left the house or before I was ready for the phone appointment. And the reality is, I was setting unrealistic expectations about the time it would take me to show up. And then when I did show up, even if I was two minutes late, it really drained energy from my presence and it just was not a good business practice. So what I've had to do over time is pad my estimates. If I really need to be on a Zoom call, at eight in the morning, and I think I can get up at seven, have breakfast, read the printed newspaper, which I still do, maybe get some exercise in, take a shower, and be ready for that call. I'm actually being delusional. <laughs> so what I need to do is to pad my estimate and simply add, in this case, 15 minutes and then stick to it, so that I will truly be on time and be centered when I'm on time. And that's really changed how I show up and how I feel when that appointment starts, whether it's in person, online, whatever, so that I am truly available, not just to the other person, but also to myself. In taking on various tasks and commitments, we frequently stack up our promises. Yes, I can do this. Sure, I'll look into that. Yep, let me get back to you on this. And what we fail to hold in our consciousness is that that commitment that I made to someone yesterday, last week, it's now on the bottom of my pile. 
but it may still be on the top of theirs. And so keeping track of those commitments is one thing, but also the ability to set limits and boundaries. A lot of times when I work with business owners and leaders, the question comes up, it's not so much figuring out what they need to do, it's figuring out what they need to not do. And there's an analogy for this in terms of if you have fruit trees or grapevines, then the best practice is to prune those so that you cut away some material, it's actually still living, so that the plant will respond with more energy because you've gotten rid of the kind of dead weight and the unused material and will produce stronger, better fruit the following year. The definition of multitasking that I like is doing twice as much as you should, half as well as you could. I'm easily distracted, and it is a constant battle for me to not respond, particularly if I'm working on a critical project, to the pop-up emails, to the various uh, places I could go, and sometimes do go, on the internet. So being mono excuse me, and being mono-focused and, and practicing monotasking is the antidote to multitasking. If I'm not careful, I will sit for hours at a computer without realizing that I actually will be more productive if I take a break. And lately... I have tried to develop the discipline that all I have to do is maybe change my shoes, throw on a jacket, and I can walk across the street and be in the woods by my house. I never walk out of the woods and say, you know what, that was a waste of time. I really should have stayed and answered emails or you know, read the online news. It always provides a sense of reconnection. And along with that, as Americans, we are among the worst in terms of taking real vacations. If you're sitting by the pool or you're out in the woods with your cell phone, checking emails, answering phone calls and voicemail, you've simply moved your office to perhaps a better looking location. Now, I have the memories, <laughs> when the only way we could get in touch with each other was through a landline or writing a letter or going to see someone. And somehow we had great relationships and business thrived. So technology can be our friend or our slave. And when I'm with a group of people that I'm working with, I will ask them, raise your hand if you have unplugged, meaning no cell phone, no computer other than maybe using it to write, but no incoming information and no responding. Raise your hand if in the last six months you've gone 48 hours without the technology, at 48 hours without being tethered to technology. Very few hands go up. And I might get one or two hands if I ask people 
to keep your hands up if you've gone five days or seven days in the last year of truly being unplugged. I'm really committed to this practice because I find that when I set things aside and turn off the email and the business, and I'm really clear about that, and there is there is an emergency number uh, if you need to get in touch with me, but when I unplug, about the middle of the second day, my body goes, really? We get to relax? We can follow the natural rhythms of life? It's truly remarkable. I encourage you to try it. There's this concept now of slow money and slow eating. And I think it's really interesting to practice that. For example, when you're eating, are you conscious of how fast you're putting food in your mouth, chewing it and swallowing it? Are you using a fork or as my father used to say, a shovel uh, when I was shoveling it in? And what happens when you actually stop, instead of taking that elevator to the third floor and take the stairs to the third floor? What happens when you're driving and you see the yellow light and you actually make that decision to slow down and stop rather than to step on it and barrel through the intersection? When we get so caught up in what we do and lose sight of who we are. And when we're involved in complex and sometimes conflictual situations, it's hard to remember that there's a technique that I've heard, I've heard referred to as the art of healthy detachment. Well, what does this mean? You don't care? No, it means you're fully and compassionately engaged, but you're not making it or taking it personally and you're not coming from the place of emotional reactivity. In one of my previous careers, I've had several, I had a chance to work in the emergency room of our local hospital. I was initially quite apprehensive because I am president of the Squeamish Club. However, I realized that I didn't have to deal with the blood and guts and all the yucky things that happened there. But I could see that when they said Code 99 in room 3, that the nurses and doctors would drop what they were doing if they could and rush into that room because that was the signal that someone's heart had stopped or they were no longer breathing. And I asked one of the nurses that I struck up a professional friendship with, I said, how do you do that? How do you go into a room where someone's life is literally ending and I can pretty much tell by the looks on your faces when you come out whether that person made it or not? And then within five minutes, you're cracking jokes with the kid who busted his finger. And she said, well, we have this concept of emotional calluses. So like when you use a tool in your garden, for example, your body responds and creates a protective layer. However, if you don't develop those calluses in this work and you have no protective mechanisms for the incredible human situations and emotions that come through here on a regular basis, you will pretty much fry yourself to a crisp. But on the other hand, if those calluses are too thick, then you lose your empathy and your bedside manner and no one wants to work with you. And I thought that was fascinating. So how do we take care of ourselves and not be overwhelmed? 
years ago when I was the executive director of a nonprofit program and we had a staff check-in. One of the staff members who was a wonderful, wise woman, she said, you know, I don't like being overwhelmed, but if I'm underwhelmed, then that's kind of boring. Can I just be whelmed? And I had to, I still laugh when I think about that. So this is a practice. This is not something that we read a book or we have a checklist. It's a way of moving through your day with mindfulness to create as much space and balance while you tackle the unique challenges of your life and your work. It's also very important to not forget your soul and spirit. Take the time to connect with something larger than yourself, to honor the mystery of being human and alive on this amazing planet, and to understand that there are deeper mysteries and understand that there are ways of being in the world that serve us better than others. So I like, I'm going to quote another song lyric, something I do quite a bit, for those of you who know me. It's ride with the tide and go with the flow, because it sure beats feeling like we're drowning most of the time. This concludes another episode of the Holistic Work podcast series. If you're interested in this and other archived podcasts, they are available wherever you get your podcasts or at businesscultureconsultants.com. You're also welcome to email me at flip.brown at icloud.com. This has been a production of Business Culture Consultants at Star Farm Studios in Burlington, Vermont. And thanks for tuning in. I'm Flip Brown, and may your awesome potential continue to unfold at work, in your life, and through your positive contributions to the world. Until the next time we cast another pod, be safe and strong.